0: Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming We've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.
1: Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play
0: Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you always.
1: You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 102. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong.
0: Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity.
1: That's not how the Force works.
0: Force
2: is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Angela Cialana and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Quick plug, if you're looking for a Star Wars gift for yourself or someone you know, our Star Wars, uh, Secrets of Star Wars swag, including hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and as I found out while uh, scrolling through here, phone cases (laughs) and so many other things. um, They are sporting a design encapsulating our philosophy of finding hope in a galaxy far, far away. So get your swag at sqpn.com slash merch. All right. Well, today we're going to be uh, diving into the eighth episode of the Japanese anime series, uh, Star Wars Visions, entitled Lop and Ocho. So uh, joining me today is, well, the one and only Ronan Thomas Sanherho. Hello, Thomas. Hi.
2: I still love that name. It's awesome.
1: (laughs) I do, too. I'm not (laughs) a jealous person, but I'm very happy for you that you have that name and it fits you so well.
2: It was an excellent pick. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, and of course, I'm Angela Cialana and uh, the Bendu, as I revealed a couple of weeks ago. Um, And before we get into uh, this Visions episode, a bit of news. On November 27th, we got an additional teaser trailer for the book of Boba Fett, which will begin streaming on Disney Plus December 29th. So, Thomas, did you get a chance to catch this teaser?
2: I haven't caught this one yet.
1: All right. (laughs) Yeah. It's only 30 seconds. Yeah.
2: They've been so, they've been teasing so much with these where it's like just brief little glimpses of things, which I like because I don't want too much information about whatever it is that we're going to watch. So, yes. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I love
1: seeing it. It's so
2: cool. I can't (laughs) wait for it to be out. That's really what it is. I just can't wait for it to be out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh absolutely yes. I'm looking forward to it. And I mean without giving anything away really, I just I'm looking forward to the cinematic style that we're going to get back into, um the action once again, getting back on Tatooine and really spending some time there and getting to know Boba better. Um and of course we'll be diving into the episodes here on the podcast. So Definitely. Yeah. Lots to chew there. Um so uh well speaking of chewing, um the main course We'll get back to that Lapanocho. Uh, Thomas, <laughs> what were your first impressions of this Visions episode?
2: I really didn't like this one. <laughs> Honestly. <Yeah. gasps> Whoa, I, dude. I, um, this is the first one... Like, I didn't like the twins either. And I don't, I don't know that I was on the podcast for that one, but I really did not... Uh, I didn't prefer that one. That's way outside of my style range. It's the more chaotic, cr- crazy part of uh, Trigger Studios, which I'm not as fond of. Mm. And this one... Um, I wanted to like it. It had all of the elements that I normally like. The industrialization, the imperial, uh, you know, uh, overarching uh, local family versus the big uh, monstrosity that's coming in to take them over and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. But just something about the plot kind of fell Mm -hmm. flat for me.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think, you know, I can definitely see where you might be coming from. And will certainly I'll be interested and curious to get into that with you um for me i was pleasantly surprised by this episode i had heard of like when visions came out and there was marketing for visions i saw this like star wars bunny jedi and i was like (laughs) what is this (laughs) like not in a good way um and but you know i i kind of had some hints that this would be that episode um but I was pleasantly surprised. The themes were right on target for Star mm-hmm. Wars. and Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and the animation at certain points was just wow. Like, I, there was moments where I was just like, I'm a very introverted person, so I don't tend to express myself vocally when I'm watching things, but it really, like, came... There were just certain, like, poster, you know, moments mm-hmm. um, for me. So, you know, actually this... Uh, I I would say probably the ninth Jedi and this one has really made me want Star Wars to continue in anime style, like really, really, really want it Um, because I felt like I don't know. I felt like it was at home here and we'll get into, you know, why I liked that. Um, But uh, yeah, so let's do that. So, Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, of course, you know, like so many of these episodes, right, we start with the Imperial Cruiser or something like it, right? right. So, <laughs> so we get this great sequence where we're like, in, we've got the cruiser coming at us and then sweeping over the planet of Tau. Um, we get some vocal narration there. Um, and the animation, I love how it was like going into the structures of the buildings. Mm-hmm. And then we go down into kind of like the underbelly of this city and this darkened market. Um, and so we have everything set up, you know, with the story and this beautiful planet. And this is classic
2: anime, too. Yeah, that's okay. like that's that's very classic anime. Like the it really felt uh, like 100 different animes that i've watched Mm. before where it's this kind of grand sweeping uh entryway and then it goes dives down into like the the dirt of the of the area and there's your main character that you're following and and that's kind of the way that a lot of animes start and so i love the art the art was fantastic and i really liked seeing the low swinging uh cruiser too that was neat how it was kind of not just in space but actually on the planet like Flying through some of the uh, the nature on the planet,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and it was very Star Wars as well, like having this beautiful planet taken advantage of by the imperial, like military industrial complex, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and the enslavement of a species as well to the point of like you know we where we meet one of them running away, hiding, like desperate to continue living and and try to get away, um, and of course that's where we meet Lop. Who uh, is essentially like shackled, right, by the empire around her neck, and trying trying to steal some fruit apparently to eat? Uh, when this large man and his, I would say maybe sprightly daughter, um, <laughs> stop yeah. her. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> And, I, uh, and they're very traditionally Japanese-dressed, which was really mm. cool. It's like very much bringing in the the Japanese, uh, you know, like with all of the emblems from uh, there. And it was, it was neat the way that they tied those things together. I really liked oh, that yes. it didn't feel out of place because this planet had its own culture, and that was the culture they were bringing into it, which worked really well for the concept of what they're doing, like uh, kind of bringing anime into Star Wars rather than just taking Star Wars and redoing it in an anime style.
1: Yeah. And I've almost heard I've well, I have heard uh, other, another podcast talk about it as kind of like reappropriating the Japanese culture like and Star Wars and everything like back uh, sort of reclaiming it almost, um, mm-hmm. and you know all of the influences that George Lucas had, which he definitely respected and paid homage to, absolutely I, I believe. But um, for them to really reclaim that is awesome too, and 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 I appreciated that about this episode as well. Um, and so, yeah, um, I I think we're brought into this situation with Lop and this little family to kind of like. Both Lop and the audience's bewilderment because it seems like everything happens so fast. Like, she, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we go to the sea and she's freed of the shackles, and it's like, all right, you're part of this family. And it's all just like, whoa, okay, what's happening?
2: <laughs> yeah. And I would say, unfortunately for me, that was the part that felt the hardest to accept about this whole thing. It's like they crammed a lot of information into a short uh, time period. And I know they only had so much time that they were supposed to work with, but. The story felt too big for the package that they were putting it in, which is Mm. something that a lot of the other ones have been really good at where they've made a huge story, but they've told the part of it that was really essentially important in that time space. Well, Mm -hmm. and this one just felt so kind of rushed Mm. uh, to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I can see that. I can also say that I think the character of Ocho being very kind of like spunky and just like, let's go do stuff and let's get stuff done. Because she I mean, looking forward, she's the one that's very like pro progress and development. And Mm -hmm. that's why she wants to join the empire where the father is more like conservative and tradition and that type of thing. So I like that dynamic. And I think that's you kind of see that push and pull with the 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 timing and the pacing of the of the episode as well so um yeah and and i love how like i just wanted to say like as a father like the way that ocho gets all excited and she's like giving she's like let we'll give you this food and and you'll come and be in our family and and the Boss Yasaburo, I think is his name. He's like, you can't say these things out loud.
2: Like, you can't just do like, that. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah.
1: I felt that that was probably very relatable as a parent. Oh, yeah. It's so much
2: <laughs> as a dad. You, you know, your, your, your kids will just do something and you're like, that's you can't just say that this person is now your best friend and you're going to invite them over for a sleepover. That's not how it
0: works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very oh, much so. Yeah.
1: yeah so... Um, and at the seaside, you know, we get the return of the phrase dank ferric, which I appreciated. Um, <laughs> the dad says he's like, he's all frustrated. He's ah, dank ferric, you know. I think we got that in <laughs> The Mandalorian first. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, and then TD kind of removes her shackles, um, TD being the droid. I never found out what TD. Stood for, I guess you could kind of guess that the D stands for droid. I don't know. But um, so we're already seeing, for me, a lot of symbolism here because I was thinking about um, the seaside for Japan. And if you've ever seen like Japanese traditional, like classical art, you've probably seen this like the waves and the sea are very much a part of Japanese culture. Um, being like a, an island nation for thousands of years, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that you know the Japanese just have this very significant relationship with the sea, and so for me it was neat that that was so much a part of this episode, and especially this particular like pivotal moment that is we we have we hearken back to throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, that
2: picture of the family. Yeah, yes. Definitely yes. Coming up again and
1: again. Um, and I was thinking about like how because i actually you know i don't have any japanese blood but i do have um japanese family members by marriage and like actually from japan and so um i you know i've learned a a few things here and there and and something that i've come to understand is that japanese have a respect for the sea as far as like being a place of bounty like it's where they can reap a lot of you know fishing and Mm -hmm. and resources but it's also something that can bring destruction you know with the tsunamis uh particularly and so for me just looking at that dynamic as well like the fact that this particular family kind of gets created at the seaside um you know that that symbolism speaks to the relationship between the two daughters and their father like there's this one that comes to celebrate the beauty and the resource of the planet. And there's another daughter that kind of like identifies with the Empire being the major destructive force on the mm-hmm. planet. You know, it has so, that I background of
2: has that background of having been enslaved by the Empire, right? That
1: mm-hmm. that
2: any progress that comes is on the back of someone else who has had to pay for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so slavery is definitely a part of Japanese history as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and speaking of that, you know, as Lop was like having her shackles removed um, and entering into this new family, of course, as a Christian, like I couldn't help but think of how Christians have identified with these images of slavery and freedom, adoption into the family of God and so forth. So... Just Mm -hmm. thought I'd bring that. That'll come into play later. Trust me.
2: Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) So now we jump seven years into the future. And I want to say we're still at the same shore, except that now it's like this huge Imperial facility that's taking up like a lot of the sea. And there's this explosion that just happened and it's knocked over Lop and TD and they're down on the ground. And she gets up and she has kind of this like, google glass like eye patch thing (laughs) very
2: very anime very (laughs) (laughs) like way back to dragon ball z kind of like analyzing everything with the little eye patch thing yeah Yeah. like the infrared like (laughs)
1: ipad yes and it's pink of course right um and and from ocho's yelling we learned that the explosion was the work of boss yasaburo and so we see then that he and Ocho are fighting back and forth with the household servants crowded around them. And is like at his wit's end with the Empire. And he asks, like, what'll happen if they turn Tao into a war zone? And meanwhile, mm-hmm. Ocho, who calls herself the next head of the family, like insists on the empire's importance for again, like development, progress for the planet. And then the Imperial troops start to arrive and all the servants flee. And yeah.
2: I like that the house isn't picking sides. That was probably my favorite part of this scene is that the house is just like not trying to stay out of the fight because the fight is between the leaders of the house, right?
1: <laughs> they just want peace, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's the unity of the family is such a huge theme. Um, but, and that's where we hear that this family's roots are on Tao from Yasaburo, who says we have a duty that's been passed down for generations. Mm -hmm. So of course, like I think coming from the beginning of this episode, not knowing anything watching for the first time, I was like, okay, so they're like the rulers or the politicians or the local officials or something. And that's just, they're just internalized that responsibility. But then later on, as time goes on, then we, we learned that, okay, there's more to this responsibility. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like Thomas, I feel like this scene is really what marks the shift in the family dynamic, like compared to seven years prior. Um, any observations on the scene, the family dynamic as it's coming forward? Like I'm seeing, you know, father, daughter, sister and sister. It's, it's, it's very family you know? Yeah,
2: and I think um, I don't know. I think that this is where it started to kind of unravel for me, in the okay. in the sense of like picking up on what exactly was happening with this family, and I I was not I was not thrilled with the turn it took as it progressed further into you know, what had been passed down to them. Um, it felt really, it felt really forced. And I, mm. I would have liked, this is the one that left me wanting more, but yeah. not in the sense that I like, I want to see the rest of the story because it's so cool. I want to see more of it. It was like, I need to see more of what happened here to understand how we got mm. to this point and why why this why I should, you know, I, I, for lack of a better phrasing for it, why I should care about this, right. this argument. It just felt really uh like a real struggle that was kind of put there because it needed to be and right. like i totally get it but at the same time i just i wish there had been more time to unravel all of those threads of the story
1: sure i totally get that um and there is a lot that that needs to be revealed like The feelings of the different different sides of the family that represent the different sides of the argument that is so central to Star Wars about like power, the power struggle, and what's good for society, what's good for the planet, and all that. So I totally get that. Um, And so speaking of conversations, like we get to Ocho and Lop in this car. Speeder, sorry. Uh Star Wars. And we see Ocho is kind of thinking from the mindset of being the head of the household already. Um she says I know how to take care of the household. And so that's when we're met with this imperial officer who slightly reminded me of the Joker from Batman.
2: <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He was he was a card <laughs> man and with the 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 eye makeup and everything, it's like Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> well, okay, so we'll get into the eye makeup because I have something there that I looked up, but, um, and I want to ask you about that too. Um, but just real quick. So what happens here is she takes full responsibility for the attack and... The officer says they'll have to make life harder on their family's clan. And he like, quote unquote, invites her to join the empire and their plan to redevelop the planet or whatever. And of course, despite Lop's pleading for the unity of their family, Ocho takes this very symbolic gesture where she bites her finger and she uses her blood to draw marks near her eyes to match marks that the, M- the imperial officer has right? so you know Thomas I don't know like I was wondering if this type of like eye makeup situation because I've seen it before but I didn't know if that comes up in anime a lot like just the way that characters are styled or if that's just a particular style for this studio or this episode or I don't know if you have any insights on that
2: not really. It's a style for this episode. Um, there are some other uses of this type of eye makeup. And I, I think I mean, this is, again, kind of back to that Kabuki theater right. uh, uh, version of things. And and Ocho fits that for sure, because she's very pale. She's uh, got the very stylized hair going on, which is also important in this scene. And then um, the blood being used to draw on her face is definitely... Uh, reminiscent of how the the paint is applied and used in those uh in those moments where characters are portrayed by the makeup that they wear
1: mm-hmm. yeah like i was looking at more about the kabuki um japanese japanese classical theater the the blue makeup is typically worn by the villains and then the red is often the hero, or can also represent anger or power. So you know, I was thinking maybe it was drawing some some influence from that um, but I kind of liked that uh she makes this gesture also by cutting off her long braid, and I think Star Wars fans are probably more used to a gesture like that uh before she joins the Empire. And this is also dramatic symbols in anime, right? Like when mm-hmm. a, a character cuts their hair. In fact, if you look it up on online, there is an anime news network article called "Why Is It Such a Big Deal When Anime Characters Cut Their cut Hair?"
2: hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad they have that. <laughs> that's um. That's all the way back to samurai tradition, though, where samurai would wear top knots, and if you were disgraced. Uh, your your knot would be cut, and that was part of what marked you as a Ronin. Was the fact that you were not allowed to ha- wear your hair long or up in that braid, and so and you can actually, if you watch any Kurosawa films, uh, you and you know this, it instantly lets you recognize which characters are the quote-unquote good guys and which characters are the, the bad guys because the samurai that have the short hair, those are the guys you want to watch out for because you can't trust them.
1: Got it. Yeah, and definitely samurai th- uh, vibes coming from the Jedi with um, their braids as well. I wonder if that's where George Lucas got it from. I've never looked into that before. I don't know if you have with the one um, the braid. I don't know
2: because I I, because then from there they're allowed to do whatever they want with their hair so it's kind of like I guess I guess they become masterless at that point because they become their own
1: Mm -hmm. masters so maybe that's Mm -hmm.
2: maybe that's what it is yeah but I never really delved too deeply into that I just took it as Star Wars lore
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so a status symbol basically right and and she also kind of takes it as like, I'm leaving this family, you know. Um, so then Lop receives Ocho's braid and immediately jumps off a platform from the top level and falls down into the market again, where, you know, her place as a family member and their clan kind of began. So I thought that was neat. Um, and she runs and she goes home and learns that all this, almost all the servants have left. And um, I love their home design, by the way. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then she informs her father what happens. holds the braid. And, you know, I like this little moment um, where she's explaining and he's holding the braid in his hand and he's got his eyes closed. And suddenly there's this breeze of wind that blows in as Lop is expressing her like loyalties to the planet and to the family and it was to me it was a a beautiful like moment there expressed with the wind and i felt like this was the beginning of the stronger half of the episode Um, Mm -hmm. because again like you know a lot of the exposition and stuff was very much you know rushed at the beginning i felt right um but you know was it just me or were your star wars fan force senses tingling (laughs) Like that I, wind I,
2: I yeah that's that's what i was i liked this part in the sense that it introduces the concept that she might be attuned to the force somehow mm-hmm. and that's that's really the only thing that makes the rest of it work right because mm-hmm, it's like yeah. you, he she's then handed a, a lightsaber and and you're kind of like watching her go down in the, into the depths with her father and and you're like oh he's gonna hand her a lightsaber isn't he and then oh yeah that's that's where this is headed <laughs> and and so but i i can forgive it having watched it a second time uh that yeah. moment being her kind of accepting the force calling her right like mm. it's kind of awakening in her uh that direct that that um you know, her, her her fate her uh, her mission her calling mm-hmm, is is mm-hmm. coming to the forefront at that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think the father very much represents that old sage figure, that kind of guiding figure in the hero's journey um in this like dramatic pause, you know. I think she says like father lend me your strength and then it's like okay. Pause, and then this traditional string and flute music begin, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we immediately sense like there's a Yoda moment coming, <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, that's when they go downstairs. Um, and to me, okay, so this was kind of like a liturgical moment. Well to me it was very liturgical to me because I mean that's just the way I think. So, you know, I'm seeing them kneel opposite each other. There's like all these candles lit and everything. And it looks kind of like a shrine, right? And then
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a Catholic, I'm looking at this thing in the middle and it's got like a circle with the Jedi symbol. Right. And I'm like, it's almost like a Jedi Monstrance kind of thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, um,
2: and that's exactly what it ends up being. And and it's really cool because um if you're into kendo and to to the the art of the sword and how important swords are to the bushido and the the whole culture of a samurai, uh, that's exactly what you have. Is you have a shrine and it's called a shrine. It's um it's it treated like a shrine when you go into a dojo. And that's a lot of people kind of get squeamish about it because you do go in and you bow to the shrine, and uh, the reason for it is is developing that sense of ritual like you're saying that what we do has importance everything we do has importance so coming into this space regardless of the fact that we're not actually using live swords or striking at opponents in real combat or anything like that everything we're doing is important and that's part of that training for uh preparing in in any kind of martial art is what you're doing is not training to defeat an opponent necessarily but training to discipline yourself and that self-discipline is what's going to cause you to be able to uh defeat an opponent when it comes to that because you're not going to lose control you're not going to let the opponent control the situation you're going to be in control of only the things that you're in charge of and you're going to do them well
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome um and i would imagine the bowing also you know is traditionally associated with humility as well mm-hmm. so that being an element of that as well um right. and so here in the scene like we see that yasaburo he sets this box between them and i thought it was interesting that first he recognizes her good heart before he begins acknowledging his faults and he says i'm sorry i never meant to look down on you but i think i did so if i ever seem to favor ocho over you i apologize And, you know, liturgically speaking, I'm like, okay, they're starting with, like, acknowledging a false. I can kind of relate to that. Um, And then he unties the box and he removes the the lightsaber from it and he places that on this holder. Um, And he puts his hand on the table in front of them. And it's all very, like blue light and words surrounding them and I really want to know what they say. I couldn't find a translation (laughs) online. Uh, But she hears the story of the family ancestors from many generations ago and we'll get into the story for a second but the next thing that happens is the entrusting of the sword to Lop, and her father reminding her that even though we're not bound by blood, I'm your father and that bond can't cannot be broken we'll support each other for as long as we are able yeah. and yeah and he Back to a central theme
2: of star wars right the, yes. the father uh the, the surrogate father and trusting the the training to the the kid so that was i felt that was really good i thought that was a great uh passage and once i was able to kind of just calm down <laughs> swallow back the okay she doesn't have any jedi training but okay uh but then i was like my my star wars anal- analyst was kicking in too and uh looking at this moment like wondering okay yeah they left the sword but did they also leave like a holocron is that what's going on here because it it feels almost mm. like there's something extra right. going into it and that would explain a lot of what's happening in the scene
1: mm-hmm Right, because we're seeing like imagery as well as this, I don't know, historic record or something like that that's Mm -hmm. all around them. Um, Yeah, and uh, of course the holocrons were introduced in the canon to contain knowledge, right? So that would make absolute sense. Um, And, you know, looking again, looking at the scene, like you tend to connect with connected with what you're familiar with. And so like, again, as a Catholic, I'm like, I'm thinking about the mass, right. And I think, you know, whatever religion, a religious background you may have, like, there's probably something that is close to this sort of formula or, or sequence of events, because like having the certain posture and then like acknowledgement of faults, right? And then hearing the stories of the ancestors, like, you know, I'm thinking hearing the scriptures, right? And and then this reminder of like, although we're not blood relations, we are family. And then this verbal profession, because he actually, he entrusts the sword to her and he's like, whenever you're ready. And he doesn't just like give it to her. He's like, whenever you're ready. And then he asks her to say, that she respectfully accepts all of right. this. This you me so word. many
2: moments when you're in in a sacrament and the priest has to re- remind you of what the exact words are because you're like, oh, I forgot. This is really like 20 <laughs> things I had to say and I forgot what it was. The priest is like, you say. This. It's like, oh, okay, correct. <laughs> Go, got it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's like this verbal profession of accepting like a covenant relationship, and so like I'm thinking the creed too, right? In this acceptance Ooh, of wow. something physical that speaks to that relationship and something physical that is empowering us with the strength of the father. And so I'm thinking like, you know, the mass, wow. right? Wow. That's yeah. so cool. So yeah, it, was, uh, it was
2: really, it was very neatly done. And I love this too. Um, I, I have, I, I've done a lot of training in, um, in some of the sword arts. And so uh, this was very beautifully, the, the progress that you go through in preparing a sword or like when, you're, when you're inspecting a katana uh, and, and first brought it out or you're, you're cleaning it. And so all of the things very much in that order. When you're kneeling, you have a base that you have the, the blade set up on, you go through the whole process of inspecting it, and you have to treat it very properly. And, and so because, first off, it's a live weapon, right? If, if you're using an actual sword, it's sharp and it's very dangerous if you're not treating it properly. And that level of just ritual to it is—it is very comforting. It's very much like and this is where I—I I, I draw this comparison to a lot of the problems with the way that Catholics pray the Rosary, for example. And it's—it's it's not that the Rosary is repetitive for the sake of being repetitive or for like you know, just trying to say the words over and over and over again and brainwash or something like that. What it is is, it's a mantra, and it it changes your perception and it opens you up to that larger experience than you would have otherwise in prayer because you are not worried about the words as much as you're worried about the things that are interfering with your thought. And so it becomes very much a meditation, which mm-hmm. why it's you know a meditative prayer. And so many people miss out on that because they They just think, oh, well, it's just saying the same words over and over. But that's not what it is. It's that that ritual. You develop that habit. So everything happens, and you stop to fully be present in that moment and to think about it. And that's what you see in this moment, too, is a really beautiful uh, example of that. And I don't know that we've had anything in Star Wars that's been quite that way, because everything Mm. seems either really grand or... Uh, very kind of rushed uh, when they're doing things, and I would love to see canonically on screen because we've had it happen a couple of times. But I'd love to see canonically on screen the building of the lightsaber. It was a lightsaber because I feel like mm-hmm. the building of a lightsaber would follow this ritualistic format, and it would be really nice to see it
1: handled this way. Yeah, that's true. I think whenever we've seen the building of a. Uh or we've seen it implied that someone is working on their lightsaber that it seems more of like a technical exercise mm-hmm. than a spiritual like ritualistic you know um, per- thing that you do um so i agree with that i think probably the closest that we've gotten is on the mandalorian when um mm-hmm. he's like receiving the armor um and well, not receiving the armor, but receiving the, oh, what's the word for it? The mud horn, basically, on, on, on his armor. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. And uh, the fact that this was between family members as well was significant. Um, and so we hear the family story, and that was that a Jedi came to Tau, and he died there, But before he died, he entrusted the sword, the lightsaber, to the Yasaburo ancestor and taught this ancestor how to wield the blade. And the saber and the techniques have been passed on through the generations and they represent the family's unwavering resolve, according to the father. So, um, I mean, pretty basic story, right? Um, As far as Star Wars goes. the the concept that, you know, he I mean, I assume, but I don't know, like he hadn't told her any of this before or anything else like related to like the force or anything like that. Kind of like what you were saying, like she seemed maybe open to it and like open to the force, but not necessarily having learned gotten any training or anything. So mm-hmm. that was definitely, I think, a weak link you know, just in the overall story. I would agree there.
2: Yeah, and, and it's it's not that he didn't tell both of his daughters because obviously he told uh, Ocho, because Ocho's right. surprised when he shows up with a sword over. So it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like
1: something was missed out on in mm-hmm. yeah. the way everything
0: falls together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, so there's some interesting moments coming up here. So the father leaves the house and he says, well, this is the end of our family, but I'm glad that it ends with you, which was like, wow, okay. And he goes off to meet the other daughter. He says, wait for us here. That was very moving because he says, she's like, well, what about the household? He's like, there is no household. Mm-hmm. That saber is all that matters. And then he says, both you and Ojo, no matter what, will always be my daughters. Very significant. Um silence their way to so lop and i guess the only servant left in the house are both sort of like just kind of kneeling there in the house waiting and there's this explosion and lop jumps in the speeder of course hurdles quickly to the scene and it's anime so we've got to have her swoop in via open umbrella right yes open parasol (laughs) it's
2: great (laughs) Yeah, and I love that she's she's driving along on the the hovercraft and then she just jumps off onto the the pipe to to go sideways to avoid the guards. That was fun, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. there was some cool stuff in there. And, And there's this battle at this Imperial facility where Yasaburo and it looked like a couple other warriors that were aligned with him were fighting Imperial officers ocho included ocho of course facing off against her father and they're not only fighting physically but they're also like spiritually and mentally and emotionally Mm. fighting as well so i felt like that brought a level of significance to the fight um did you have any notes as far as how the fight or the choreography was displayed
2: i love the the variance of the weapons that were used which is always Mm. that's one of my one of my favorite things about you know like signature weapons for each character in an anime is kind of a thing. And so to see each of the different characters with the different weapons. But I was like, where did these guys come from? Who are
1: they? Yeah. Like,
2: what is going on here? I love, I love them, but I don't, you know, it's just not, what is this? Who are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then, you know, as the battle progresses, whatever material uh, Ocho's stuff is made out of is phenomenal and is able to, you know, deal with a lightsaber just fine, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was it was interesting. It was really cool, though. I love um I, I love the fighting style, and it is uh, the weapons that uh, the decided it was using are um, tied. They're, uh, they're weapons that are designed to be sword breakers, so they're supposed mm. to grab a sword and be able to flip it out of uh, an opponent's hand. And they're actually uh, a very peaceful weapon, which is bizarre and. and
1: uh, so that's so the thing that sp- looks kind of like a triton.
2: Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, like just the end of a trit- triton that you're holding onto. And mm-hmm. so, uh, which, interestingly, these things were used by police officers to take swords away from samurai. And mm-hmm. so the, the police officers were supposed to face off of the samurai with just this weapon, which wasn't actually sharp. It was like a, the real weapon. It was just a, a pole with another little pole sticking off of it. And they were supposed to be able to disarm the samurai with that weapon, And so highly trained samurai versus police officer with a stick uh, and, and that's how everything was supposed to go down and apparently it works because they kept doing it for quite a while and i think most of the time they were just taking from drunk samurai which makes it a lot easier <laughs> to wow. predict what's happening and and just pull the sword out of the guy's hand but uh yeah so that so seeing that was really neat too because he's using these weapons that are a peaceful weapon with the purpose of trying to stop what's
0: happening mm-hmm. not to win, but to just stop the
1: violence and to kind of bring the daughter back into the fold. That's awesome. That brings a whole new level of significance to the fight. Um, Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Um, And it definitely is kind of like reminding me of like the prodigal son sort of a little bit, because you've got the two siblings and the one who you know seems to not really fit in with the family who ends up being the one that is truly worthy of the father's inheritance and so you know you've got that that vibe going on um and Ocho saying um you know she's she's not even part of this family right like she like I'm your daughter she's not even part of this family and so there's this whole emotional dynamic going on and you know what i loved About this episode in particular was Yasaburo trying to get his father back or his daughter back. Because Mm -hmm. this line that I wrote down, he, she says, you don't understand. And he says, yes, I do. I've understood ever since I first looked into your eyes. I'm your father and you're my little girl. Now please come home.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah I and there's not like, even like a wow you just stop fighting I, I just just come home just that's that's what he wanted
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's like an amazing star like one of the best star wars father figures really like that we've yeah. had because he's just so loyal to his family and to his commitment to being a father like even to his death um <clears throat> which that was the thing i think that i love the most about This episode was just his dedication as a father. So and then I think um, it shows a lot of what the empire does to people. mm -hmm. And that's that's the thing I think that we
2: we can forget because everybody has a phenomenon. And so there's a lot of dehumanizing. It's it's either the the corporate administrative side of things, which is always just feels very bad, and the people that are the people that we see the faces of are making bad decisions and we see them Mm -hmm. making bad decisions. So we go, Oh, those are obviously the bad guys. But you forget about all of the other people that are dragged into this, that become uh, part of the machine. And and we forget how sometimes the faceless warrior that is on the front lines, that is sacrificing their life, maybe doesn't hold the same ideals as the leader of whatever force they're working for.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's it's challenging to kind of see this daughter that has undergone that. That shift where the empire pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where it was like, you're either with us or you're against us. Mm -hmm. And she chose progress because she wanted the best for her. She, She felt like she was making the best decision for her planet. And the reality was that she had to
1: sacrifice
2: everything that made her planet hers in order to join them.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, she even says, like, I can't. It's too late for me to turn back now. Um, and that's, that's the sad thing that I think a lot of times we see with just friends and family and just people in our communities, right? Like they go down a certain path and it's like, well, I'm, I'm so deep into it now. Like y'all don't want me back or, you know, the community doesn't want me back. The church doesn't want me back, whatever it is, you know? And it's like, no, you know, there's always, it's like the fa- the father figure here is like. Oh, you're my daughter. Like just come home. Like it's okay. Like, you're my daughter. That's it. That's that's the truest thing in his mind. And he's trying to um he's trying to communicate that to her. So I loved that. Um and and then Lop enters, which distracts her father and he loses his last good eye. And then we have this blind samurai imagery. Yes,
2: right? <laughs> I was like why doesn't he get up and fight?
1: That's
2: the, <laughs> he should be better now, that's, that's how it works.
1: Right? <laughs> I know, right? That would have been so cool, but also kind of like creepy too. Like I don't know if we've seen that with just like nothing like he didn't have a mask or anything. So.
2: Yeah. But yeah, this is one of the more violent ones I think out
1: of, out of a lot of Yeah. Them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but you know, it's still pretty cool cuz he he stays in character, right? Like he's on the floor, but he's still like he's playing that guide, the, you know, along the hero's journey type of character cuz he there's there's Lop and he's like instructing her to please save her sister. He says, "That's what a family does for each other in difficult times," isn't that right? And I love this alone because it's like it's like the father imparting this wisdom in the middle of a conflict and they're fighting, right? But there's this goal here. It's not just a fight. There's a goal of bringing back unity to the family and saving her from the empire. And I don't know. I just felt like that was very relatable in terms of the fa- just being in a family. Like, a lot of times you can get into arguments and then it's like, what are we doing? You know, like, mm-hmm. what is the point of this? <laughs> right. And the father brings it all back.
2: Yeah. And, and it, it, that's one of the hardest things to do, too, especially when the fighting, is to... Get out of that. I need to win. They are wrong. And I must win <laughs> in this situation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um there's this also this interesting moment that was kind of like a Pontius Pilot moment for me. And I think I might have missed it the first time that I watched because they're fighting and Lop insists that they can rebuild this family. And Ocho asks, What is family? Mm. And, you know, of course, that reminded me of when Jesus is on trial and he says, everyone who belongs to the truth can, listens to my voice and Pilate asks, what is it truth?" Is true. <laughs> right. And so it goes back to that whole, like, she's asking what is family. I think, again, like you're saying, because the empire is, has brainwashed her basically into the attitude that she's in right now, which is very like hardline, you know, regimented. Here's what here's the way things are, the way things are is the way we say they are. And um and very disconnected from her family in general. Um and so it seems like, you know, she's just lost as as mm-hmm. a character. She's just completely lost. She doesn't even understand what is family. When she was initially the person who brought Lop in Right. To the family, so that brings a level of tragedy to what has happened to her,
2: yeah, it's it's really sad to see in fall that that um that she has been so caught up in what the empire offers that she has lost sight of who she is and where she comes from,
1: right. So I guess in a way, we still have the blind Samurai imagery because the father, even though he isn't fighting physically, he is still contributing to the fight like mentally, spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally and he's the one that can truly see, right? He's the one that can truly see the point of it all um, who can truly see the family as it as it is, you know, as it should be. So yeah, very cool. Um, and this is the point where Ocho nearly destroys poor little TD, the droid yeah. and you but know, just, this droid, he didn't have much screen time, but he, you know, when you think about it, he's pretty significant. Like, he's the one that took the shackles off. He's the one that's like, wow. basically like a glorified family photo, like, you know, right. family photo album thing. It yeah,
2: um, yeah, was really creative the way they did it with them because he's the one pulling up the photo. Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not that someone asks him to pull up the photo and he does. Mm-hmm. It's like, you almost get the sense that he is looking at the photo every time, uh, you know, like every once in a while, he just pulls it up and like, oh, they're so cute. It's so cute.
1: I remember this. This is really nice. You
2: know? And, yeah. and, that's, and then to see that, that, that's his immediate response when he's confronted with this version of Ojo. Like, well, no, no, remember? Remember mm-hmm. when you did this? And, the, and then she responds by just completely, you know, almost destroying him. It's like, oh. Yeah. No, she's truly gone at that moment, right?
1: Right. Exactly, that's very symbolic. Um, and you know what the artwork is as the fight continues between her and Lop, the artwork becomes particularly beautiful, I think. Um, we see like Lop mournfully, you know, she's mourning TD. So you see her crying, her like her whole face is just like filling the screen, and then the fight continuing with the cherry blossom tree in the background. And Ocho, there's this moment where she's like jumping up in the air and she's bearing her weapons and her arms are crossed um, so that was that was just fantastic I love those visuals yeah
2: um, it, it, the art in this one is just amazing, especially mm-hmm. the background, it's really just breathtaking and uh, it's, it's funny because I looked up this uh, I, I looked up this, uh, this anime studio and uh they
0: were kind of spun off in twenty fifteen to handle this
2: really uh deep uh, uh, anime that was presented from a from a novel. So they're taking a novel and make anime out of it.
0: The company that was initially gonna do it, and it failed, and so then this company stepped in to to do it.
2: And that's how, their name is Gino because of this initial uh, uh, genocidal organ was the, the first uh, anime that they, that they produced. And they're a newer company, so I didn't know much of what they were, so I was looking at some of the stuff that they've done, and it's all very realistic. Like, it's mm-hmm. very it's very pretty, it's very uh, well done, it's very detailed drawing, so I was really surprised that this that this character, Lop, was like their kind of foray yeah. into, into Star Wars, but it was, you <laughs> tell they were just kind of uh, stretching their wings for this one, which was good, but um, but yeah, like the, the art that they have just is amazing. So, I really did appreciate the, the style that was brought to this.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, I another thing that I missed, um, that I when I was watching the first time is that Lop actually force grabs that three pronged weapon mm-hmm. or uh, instrument and she starts to use it in the battle, and, and with that and the family saber, she cuts an X across Ocho's chest, which initially I'm like, oh my gosh, did she kill her? But then, you know, it must have been, she had some great armor, or chest plate right. or something going on. <laughs> Cause she ends up, uh, did we see her rising up, standing on this Imperial ship? And she flies out of sight. And Lop picks up TD, who is still projecting that hologram of their family portrait. And we hear that near that, part of the portrait oh. where they she said Ocho said with a little time we're gonna become a proper family and and credits.
2: Yes. So. Not, not a happy ending to this one. At all. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Yeah. So I mean <laughs> I guess you don't see a future for Lop and Ocho based on your impression of it or what do you think?
2: I I would I would not mind a series based on this, but mm-hmm. I would want I would want a series that was redoing it, like mm. starting over from the beginning and, mm-hmm. and tracking all the way through and fixing some of those little spots where the story was just so rushed that it was hard to really accept what
0: was happening. Got um, it. Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Don't, don't get me wrong. The art was beautiful. The
2: idea was great. I just felt like it was really rushed and was underdeveloped for what we ended up getting.
1: I actually found an interview with the director that was translated. Um, and they said, We want to take the story to outer space in the next part where Lop sets out after the Imperials to find Ocho. Um, along the way, I have her meeting up with the rebellion and having strange encounters of her own. And I'd also like to do a story about Lop's species. Ultimately, I'd like to see the story come to a happy ending with Lop finally catching up with Ocho and the two working out their differences. So that was from, uh, an interview with the director. So, you know, they've, sounds like they've already got it sketched out as far as what they want. And that makes me wonder if the other directors of the other episodes also (laughs) had done done that. You gotta think they probably did.
2: I, 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 I (laughs) I, I, I really haven't seen one yet that I wouldn't like to see, uh, more, uh, even if I didn't like it very much, I think that it's, these are all very rough initial sketches into it. And if there's one thing that any anime fan knows, it's that an anime needs 300 episodes before it really, you know, has started to discover itself and feel (laughs) like that. And then another thousand after that.
0: (laughs) Ah, There you (laughs) go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the interesting things that, um, I found out looking more into the episode and that ties it with the other Visions episodes, is that the music was actually done by the same person that did the Tatooine Rhapsody episode oh, really? music. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yoshiaki Dewa. Um, who I don't know if we mentioned this on the show devoted to that episode, but he's actually a member of a J-pop duo that's called Jiukai. So wow. <laughs> I did I know this.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was interesting, also because just the music here was very different than mm-hmm. the tattooing Rhapsody music, right? So pretty cool.
2: Yeah, much more subdued so and uh, mood setting. Yeah, right? I mean, I suppose given what Tatooine Rhapsody has, mood <laughs> setting there too,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess another note about the voice acting. So, you know, as of course, I usually watch the Japanese voice track first. Um, and then I, I listen with the English, um, voice track and, from the English cast, um, a voice that some people might recognize is that of Lop, uh, who was played by Anna Cathcart. She's known for her role as Kitty in Netflix's original film franchise, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And I know um, that's becoming more and more popular. I think it was re- the first one was released in 2018. So FYI, if any of y'all are fans of that movie or movies. Um, but I thought the voice acting just overall, especially the Japanese cast, was pretty amazing. So I I enjoyed that element.
2: Yeah, it was um I feel like it was really well done. The whole thing was was very uh very on point and it didn't get uh there there were certain spots where it could have gone far too comical. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I really like about anime is that as goofy as the animation might get the voice acting is always really on point Mm. and and you you feel the characters through the truly good voice acting Uh, and the art style is great the art style can pull you into the world and you kind of recognize different tropes and stuff like that the the story is told by voice acting
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah definitely Um, any final reflections or observations
2: I liked the lightsaber with the, uh, the characters in it. That was so neat. And mm-hmm. I
0: would love to see more of that kind of thing. That was really cool.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of things from me, I guess. I Of course, I like to look up the names and the, the characters. So the Japanese word Ocho um, doesn't mean eight <laughs> like it does in Spanish. It actually means butterfly, apparently. Um, And the Japanese title for this episode, like if you're not used to watching um, stuff in different languages, usually things will be titled differently in English than they will be in their original language. So the Japanese title for this episode was actually different. Um, And in that, the word ocho is preceded by the word hisakura, which translates to winter cherry blossom. And so... There you go. Um, that's Ocho Lop. Interestingly, is inspired by Marvel's comic Star Wars number eight, which has a smuggler named Jackson or Jax, who was a green rabbit.
2: Yes, <laughs> I've actually <laughs> and, read that one. Yeah. So I was I I I like the fact that we can expand the Star Wars universe not just beyond. but also to incorporate new alien species because it's an entire galaxy, right? So there's lots of different species that we haven't discovered yet. And I like that kind of stuff being thrown in.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, the merchandise ability of having a fuzzy (laughs) rabbit Jedi, like, whoa. (laughs) Um, And apparently the uh, Jax's species was called the Lepi, or the Lepi, so I guess that's where they got the uh, name Lop. Um, So they brought back bunnies to Star Wars. Good for them. (laughs) All right. Well, um, that's all from us, y'all. So what are your thoughts? We want to know, did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you feel like it was rushed? I'm very interested to know what other people think. So please email us your thoughts about this episode or anything Star Wars. And you can do so at Wars at sqpn.com or Find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can leave a comment there or simply tweet us at SQPN. And be sure to share the podcast also on social media. We want to give a big special shout out to some people who made this episode a reality. Our patrons, including Kathleen M, Ricky S, Paul R, John B, and Michael B. And you also can feel that rush of endorphins by hearing your name called and knowing that you've helped continue the mission of StarQuest by becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. Um, And any other way that you can help uh, tell your friends and family that they can subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars, they can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, (coughs) TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on YouTube on our SQPN YouTube channel. And previous episodes can be found at SQPN.com slash Star Wars. Please do be so kind as to review the podcast as well to let us know how we're doing and helps secrets of star wars get seen by more people who'd be interested in listening so next week we will be back as we take a deeper look into the final episode ah, oh, we're already there of the anime series star wars visions and that is called Akakuti. so until next time thomas thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of star wars
2: it's a pleasure
1: and uh arigato gozaimasu once again i'm angela Ciolana. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.